And the theme being revival. Okay? Now, there's a lot, there's a lot that could be said, and that's why I'm I'm I don't have a timeline for this, but I could seriously see this taking taking us through 2023. Because I, I don't have because there's so much for us to discuss and us to consider and not a, not and not even maybe there might be day weeks in a row where all we do is come together and pray and there might not be any lesson or study um, but there's so much there's so much to talk about when it comes to revival and we'll get we won't necessarily get into it today this is just kind of going to be set setting us into on a direction um the word means different to many people. Um, if you ask people to define it, they would give you different definitions, especially if you were in different parts of the country, different parts of the world. Um, so the, just trying to hammer down what it is will take us a while. Then you've got to look at uh, the history of revival, the history of the church. And there, you know, can anybody name a major revival in, we'll just say, U.S. history? The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, which was actually across two continents. It was in, um, it was in the Americas, but it was also in in Europe. Um, anybody name another one? Hey, there you go. The Second Great Awakening. <laughs> But there are some scattered in there that don't have that great name to it and some that we can look at. And there are some in church history that only happened in churches that were recorded. Um, And so there's tons, there's tons of history to look at, uh, which is always a good thing to do. And then also, uh, what does it look like? To seek it. Are we supposed to seek it? Are we supposed to have it? How does it happen? When does it happen? All these different things that we can think of. Um, so I, I want I want to start right now uh, by just kind of having some open discussion or dialogue. Just maybe not maybe discussion or dialogue, but if you have the answer to this question, then then go ahead and shout it out. But it also might be more or less for you to write it down and take it home and think about it and pray about it. Like, what is this? What is the answer to this question? So the first question um, I I would ask, and I don't want you to say anything because I would like for you to just go home and think about this one. What what does revival mean? Um, is it a thing? Is it a noun? Or is it something that happens? Uh, a verb, something we do, because a lot of people use the same word as a noun and a verb, and they're they're kind of different on the different ends. Like we're going to a revival, uh, we're gonna have revival, so that's a noun and that's a verb. So it's like we got it. What 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 is it? Um, and we'll spend quite a bit of time looking at that, and we'll start to look at it tonight. So what is revival? And then the second question is. Um, from your perspective, and you can just shout out yes or no on this one, um, is there a need for revival? Absolutely, yes. I heard a lot of yeses. Okay. Um, why? Okay. So I could break apart Mike's answer to get us... So us was the noun there, us. So not not just anybody specific, but when Mike says us, are you are you saying the church? Are you saying the community? Are you saying America? Are what are you? Mike Mike just says us means everybody, okay? And that is something that is something that we'll kind of look at tonight, and we'll also discuss in in the future. Um, Reviving something. So, like, our church, if it gets, or, you know, the Christian church or whatever, if we're just like, 
not excited about the Lord like okay. we would. Right. And, or just kind of live warm, yeah. So let's that, – that's a great – that's great. And I'll go ahead and I'll jump there. We're using an English word, revival. That word, hang, hang on to your seats, is not in the Bible. Did you know that? That the word revival is not in the Bible. And I would, I would give you the task or homework assignment to go home and find even talk of what you think revival is. Go home and look for it. Um, see if you can find it. And start in Genesis or through wherever, go all the way through Revelation. Or you, the whole Bible is yours. Whatever you think is revival, you're not going to see the word. You might see the word revive, and that is a probably in the Old Testament. I know it's in Psalm 85, and it's it's also used like revive from you know life, giving life and things of that nature, but not in a spiritual sense. Uh, will you see it um, used much in the Old Testament? Psalm 85 is pretty close. Uh, that's Psalm 85 if you want to go read that one. Um, but write down what or think about what you think revival is and then go and look for it. But I think you should really closely look for it in the New Testament. Because what is the New Testament? Especially the epistles. Acts and the epistles. Because what are those describing or, or helping us think about? The church, who we are, right? Um, how we act, what we do, which we'll, we'll also have to work through. Um, so we've got this English word, and this would go, go back to what Justin said, that says revival is the word that comes from, we would assume, revive, which means we would assume that there was once life and now there is a reviving of that life and so the the if you just had to say based on the english word as we think about it then the context of it has to be it's for the church because only the church at some point well the only the church does have spiritual life and that's what we're trying to revive. That's what that word would assume we're trying to revive, a spiritual life. Now, the, the people outside of the church, and when I say that, I mean unbelievers who have not the Spirit of God, meaning they have not spiritual life. There's nothing to revive, right? But they have to be reborn. They have to be – to be reborn in a John 3 sense is – is to be made spiritually alive. Ephesians 2, you're as a as a as a an unbeliever outside of the church, outside of Christ, you're what? You're dead in your sins and trespasses. Verse 4, but God made you alive. So there's spiritual life coming to an unbeliever. So now that person can qualify for revival because they have life that could be revived. Does that make sense? So when we see the word, the English word, word, word revival, we have to first consider that it's talking about something happening to believers, the body of Christ. Um, so here, okay. So here's here's another question for you to go home and think about, and we'll discuss this one a little bit later. If we set aside a week specific for this event and call it a revival, my question is, will it happen? So you set aside an amount of time, days of the week, uh, we're going to be um, – have preaching, singing, all these things. We're going to call it a revival. Will revival happen? So that then you have to know what the definition is. What your definition? Are you just saying that revival is a time where we just get together for an extended period of time and do what we normally do, but for four or five days of the week, 
And the outcome is the outcome. And that doesn't, the definition of what we're doing doesn't really depend on what happens. We just know we're having a revival. There might not be any revival, but we're having a revival. So you see what I'm saying there? Okay, so you've got to think through that. Does, is, is your definition just the event in itself? Um, but then if, if something starts to happen in your event, at what point can you call it a revival? How would we measure that? What would be the signs? What would be the things that when someone says, there's revival going on down at Ozarks Bible Church? Typically, if you say that today, they'll go, well, what time and what days? But I think what we would want to hear is say is to say, tell me about it. What's happening? Like, what, what's going on? What's different? What's going what, what it's not it's not about the event but it's more or less what God is doing okay um, so again we've already asked the question um, for you to, to see it to f- try to find try to find it in scripture and so here's the weird thing for me and I've been thinking about this for about two or three weeks now is if we can't find the word in the scriptures, and when I say we can't find the word, I mean we can't even find a Hebrew or Greek word for it. And it's not just like a poor translation. Um, if we can't find the word in it, and you're going to be hard-pressed, especially in the New Testament, to see Paul say, hey, go and pray for this type of thing to happen. Or go do this this way so that this type of thing that we call revival would happen. If we're having a hard time finding that in Scripture, then I'm thinking, okay, then it is even worth our time talking about it. And I, I'm seriously thinking through that. And maybe we get we spend six weeks and we look at the Scriptures and we go, I don't know. Or, But here's where I think... Um, why it is good for us to consider this, and that's because when we look at history of the church, we see periods of time where God moves in such a way that we look at it and say, that's not normal. That That's extraordinary. What took place in New England in the first great awakening and in England uh, at the same time was absolutely extraordinary. Uh, and even in the second great awakening um, and in other places. So I think history tells us to take time and examine um, this thing that we call revival um, So what is it? We need it. We've already established that. Um, so here, here's the other thing I would ask you and I would want you to think about. If you agree with me that revival in its nature – and so I will tell you this. I'm not going to use the phrase revival the, the term revival in the sense of an event that we have set to take place Sunday through Wednesday at 6 p.m. Um, that is that is an understanding. Uh, Viola First Baptist just had one. I see the sign every time I drove by. That That is a reality. But when I use the word revival, when I say that, that it's extraordinary, that it's not the typical pattern in Christian life and church, I'm talking about something that is happening, not something that has been scheduled. Something where we're like, this is this is not us. That's what when I use the term, that's how I'm gonna be thinking about it, just so we're on the same page. So when we think about revival in that sense of it being extraordinary or extraordinary, 
the the thing we have to ask is is and we'll we'll work this out as we walk through this is do we as people who desire it do we have to do extraordinary things to bring it about do we have to go and do things differently and that's kind of a loaded question um, and we'll get to that in a minute but do we have to go and change things up in order to get a different reaction? Now, here's I just as I'm asking those questions, I'm realizing that I'm setting y'all up here, and I don't mean to be, because the point of revival isn't. See, there it is. There's no point to revival. Revival is something that is happening. Right? Revival is something that God does. It's not us trying to attempt to get people to act extraordinary. We have to understand there's only one being that can do that. That's God. Um, so I, th- I think as we, if, if we should go ahead and move forward, some of those things that I've, I'm catching myself saying we'll, we'll, we'll discuss here. So without really getting into a definition today, uh, because there, like I said, there are a few that you can really look at. We've, we've, we've named one, and that's scheduling an event. Uh, but the thing I want us to, again, consider today is that it's something that is not typical. Uh, but here's where we can where we can put our foot down, especially when we look at history. Revival has primarily to do with the working of the person uh, of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's key, and that's foundational. That when we see what in history the things that are called revivals, we see the Spirit of God working in, in amounts or measures in ways that weren't happening prior to. Now, I want to caution us here. When I, I might use the phrases um, outpouring of the Spirit, manifestations of the Spirit, filling up of the Spirit... You might hear those words and think um, assemblies of God, uh, the Pentecostal movement that's been that started, I, I believe, really in the 1800s and late 1800s, and has become very, very um, rampant in in uh, Christianity. I'm not talking about getting the Spirit a second time. When you have it, you have it. I'm sorry. And if you hear me say it, you throw something at me. He is a he. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Um, he is a person of the Trinity. Uh, my poor theology has caused me to go sideways. I cannot remember what I was saying. Um, the Spirit of God... He is the one working. He is the one that brings about this sense or this thing that we call revival. Um, Oh, yeah, not Pentecostal. That's what I was talking about. We're not talking about a second receiving of the Spirit. When When you have received the Spirit of God, you have received the Spirit of God. There's not another one to come, right? And it's not this sense of a manifestation an appearance of the spirit revival comes when people start doing when people start doing extraordinary things in the sense of um, beyond faith and repentance right if if the spirit of God increases in someone's heart, do you think that the result is that they can heal someone or they'll be more holy? They'll be more holy. 
There's nowhere in the scriptures that says increase in the spirit so that you can do things that are uh, that are supernatural. Repenting of sin is supernatural, okay? <laughs> it is supernatural. It takes the spirit of God. And and, and revival is an increase of the measure of the Spirit of God for a time. Now I'm getting too far and too crazy. Uh, we'll come we'll come back to this in a little bit more. I'm tr- I'm I'm about to define it, and I don't want to do it because I don't want to lead you down the wrong word, wrong way. But there are three things about the Spirit of God that you have to remember when we think about revival. Number one, the Holy Spirit operates like the wind. Where'd I get that? From Jesus, but what passage? John 3. John 3. Everybody go there. John 3. We're about to talk about that pragmatism. Okay, John 3. Let's just read verse 1 through 8. Now there, uh, here's still here's some more pages turning. Y'all go ahead. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Here it is. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the Spirit operates like the wind. Can you predict the wind? Now you can get, you know, the weatherman's going to try and give you a general. But the problem with the wind is it might be blowing one way for a moment, but guess what? It's going to change. You can't predict. You can't predict the wind. You cannot predict how the spirit of God is going to act. You can't. Um, as I was thinking through this, it kept coming back to my mind: Who has given counsel to God? Basically, who's told God anything? Nobody. So how are we going to predict how He works? How He's going to work, I should say, or which way He's going to work? Uh, can you cause the wind to blow the way you want? Absolutely not. The wind blows where it wishes. Uh, here's here now here here's the the big one. Can you duplicate it? Absolutely not. Yeah. No. You cannot. I'm saying you cannot get the you can't get the wind to repeat the way you want it to, right? You can't go, oh, hey, wind, do that again. So, but here's the problem with revivals in the sense of why, the way we might think about them. And this will come out in the hist- when we look at it historically. God will bring about a revival in time. And someone will turn around and go, hey, will you tell me everything that you just did? I'm going to write that down. I'm going to make a book. I'm going to sell it. And what are they? They're trying to replicate the wind. They're trying to get the wind to blow exactly the way it did that day the revival came. They're trying to say the Spirit, okay, we now know how to get the Spirit to work the way we want. You got to do this, 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 and this, and this. And we do it that way, He's going to come. No. Exactly. You didn't get him to do it. If you couldn't get if you couldn't get it to work in your new birth, 
you're not going to get it to work in your revival of life, right? Um, you can't do things in a certain way, in a certain pattern, and then be sure that the Spirit will work. And it, that in itself is... Um, it's demeaning God, right, to think that you can sort of coax him to do what only what he can do. Who knows the mind? Huh? Oh, yeah. Who knows the mind of God? Okay, so the spirit operates like the wind. The second question is, is when does the spirit operate? And we're kind of it's kind of a double dose question there. When does the spirit operate? Well, when we think about Pentecost, all right. When I say Pentecost, I mean Acts chapter one, chapter two, when Jesus, Acts chapter one, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and what does he tell them to do? He tells them to go and wait for what? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. Okay, so how long has Israel been waiting? For quite a while. You go back to Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 30, whatever, and we've got the prophecy of the new covenant. What does Ezekiel prophesy? I will put my spirit within you. So... God's determining when the Spirit's going to work and operate. And we get all the way to Acts 2, or Acts 1, and Jesus said, you're going to wait a little longer. I'm not going to tell you when it's come. You just need to go and wait for it. Uh, they, and so here's an interesting thing. What do they do in response to Jesus saying, go and wait? Can you tell me in one word what they do? Pray. Pray. Well, let's look at it. Acts 2. Acts 1, excuse me. Okay, verse uh, 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Uh, And then he ascends into heaven there. I think... um, Let me read this real quick. You don't have to turn there. In Luke 24, in the same, in in, in a sort of a a similar situation, Jesus says, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So when? Whenever it comes. Um, it would have been it would have been great if they just would have said, oh, "Can we just can we just have it now, right now?" I mean, you're here, you're about to leave. This is a great time. Can you just send it, and we'll be we'll be done. Him, sorry, thank you. I'm gonna have to bring some tomatoes next time. Um, but we've got hundreds of years since God said, "I'm gonna pour out my spirit." Hundreds of years, and he does it at the exact perfect time. You realize that? The perfect time. Look at Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, so we'll just, for the sake of time, that's a, Jew, a very important Jewish holiday. Pentecost is not a Christian holiday. It's actually a Jewish holiday, but... These events took place on Pentecost, so we we associate the coming of the Holy Spirit as the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, the 120 or so um, disciples who, whom Jesus left. And suddenly there came from 
heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of the fire, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Now here's the providence of God, meaning his working it out in the way and the time that he did. And there's no accident that Luke records this. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. Why? To celebrate Pentecost. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So the apostles, or the 120, are, are sitting in the, in the upper room. They, uh, the, they receive the Holy Spirit. They start, as it says, speaking in tongues. Um, and, and whatever's going on has drawn a crowd. The multitude came together and they were bewildered because now the, the idea of tongues is for a different night, not tonight, but this is a good, this is a good verse to help you understand a little bit because each one, the multitude and where's the multitude coming from? Every nation. Right, they've come to Jerusalem, and so they're from their different ethnic backgrounds. So, what do you think? Do they all speak the same language? No, they don't. They don't all speak the same language. Um, so, at this uh, verse six, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were be- bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Meaning, they shouldn't know my language, but they're speaking my language. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and uh, Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, uh, Asia, uh, Phrygia, and uh, and Egypt. And all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, uh, Cretans and Arabians, were hearing them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, said, They are filled with a new wine. Now, here is, remember, we're talking about when does the Spirit operate? It operates in the perfect planned and purposed time of God. God worked this out after hundreds and hundreds years of prophesying that this would happen. He worked it out on the day when there would be Jews from all over the world in one place. And they heard, because then you know what happens after this? Peter gives the first Christian uh, sermon. You know what happens? People believe. Do you know what happens after that? Some of them went home and took what? Christ and the gospel with them, right? It just so happened that it was on that day when Jerusalem was full of people from other nations. The Spirit of God operates at the perfect time. But do you know what? That's not our time. That's not our time. When we think about revival... Especially in the sense that we've all grown up understanding it. What do we do? We're going to have a revival. What do we do? Well, what about the first day or the first week of um, December? No, no, that's too close to Thanksgiving. People won't be able to come. What about we do it towards the end of summer? No, no, people are really tired and they're not going to want to get out and come. And people might still even be on. We, we try to like pick we try to pick the best time of the year or the month that people can come and the Spirit of God will work. Well, that just goes against the way the Spirit of God works. We can't schedule it. We cannot pick or fashion the right time for God to work because God works on his own time. He created time. He doesn't work on our time. Um, we cannot create, ultimately... The perfect condition for the Spirit of God to work. Uh, 
and this one I'll we'll kind of go through real quick. What would be the Spirit of God's main purpose in bringing revival? Now, you could write down a, a good long list of, of good things that would happen because of revival. But what do you think would be the ultimate purpose of God the Spirit and bringing revival? Now, it's kind of a trick question. Because uh, why do... And here's why I would I would want you to think about it. Why do we ask or pray or say we need it? And a lot of times it's because things aren't going very good around us, right? Our country needs a revival. Why? Because of the wickedness that's there. You know, is just horrible. Um, or some churches want revival because they want to see their church grow. Those two things are just fruit of revival. Okay. Those things happen when true revival takes place, and we'll see that in history. But the main purpose of the Spirit of God actually bringing revival is going to be the same reason he brings life in the first place. I'll take you even one higher than that. The glory of the Son of God. That's it. That's it. Uh, look at John 16. So I mean, if you're familiar with John 15, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is really ramping up his teaching on the coming or the promised Holy Spirit. But at the uh, in the middle of 16 at verse 12, he says this. John 16... Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you because this is this is his last time together with the disciples and he's teaching them these last things. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. See, the Spirit of God does not is not sent with its own with his own mission. He's sent with the same mission of the Father and the Son. The glory of the Son. John seventeen verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And what's the spirit going to do after the son leaves and the spirit descends onto earth? Glorify the father and the son. Now, repentance will come in a revival. Moral, moral, the moral, um, the morality across the community whether it be in a small area or a large area, the morality of that community will change. The church will change. Its worship will change. Um, evangelism will be booming. But ultimately, the reality is that Christ will be more glorified. And that is the Spirit of God's aim and should be our aim if our goal or our desire is revival should always be the glory of Christ. Um, so let me finish up. Real, let me say this real quick. Who's revival for? We've touched on this. Um, again, if you just use the word, you would assume it's just for the church because it has to revive life. But history says it's more. It's more than just for the church because. What happens when a church is revived, what happens? They go out. They make disciples. They're telling people. right? So you can't just say it's for the church. And we definitely just can't say it's for the – it can't just be for the unbelievers because how, how do they get it? right? How do they get it? Uh, it comes from the church. Uh, I heard someone say this the other day. 
when from uh, as a pastor from his perspective and he had seen sort of like many revivals in a couple situations in his life uh he says this happens sleepy christians awaken nominal christians are converted nominal meaning they're just they call themselves christians but they're really not so uh, sleepy Christians awaken, nominal Christians are converted, and unbelievers are radically converted. If you were looking for a revival, you would want to probably look for those three things. And it starts here. It starts here. Sleepy Christians awaken, nominal Christians are converted, and, ra- and, and unbelievers are radically converted. Um, okay, and then I'll, I, I just want to talk on one more thing. And I think this is probably the most important thing we'll, we'll say all night. Um, will, this is the question, will the Spirit of God bring revival? Now, don't answer this out loud because it's a trick question. Will the Spirit of God bring revival to any place at any time? Now, our assumption is God can do anything, right? And that's true. But God can't lie. So I would suggest that places, churches, people, nations that have that have acted so opposed to God that revival is impossible at that time because judgment is coming. Right? You cannot be so rebellious, so in disobedience, and expect the grace of God. You have to expect the judgment of God. That's what our passage was about this morning. That warning. You know, if you find yourself acting against the the will of God, you will find yourself against the fiery fury of God's fearful judgment. As an enemy of God, even if you call yourself a church or a Christian, you can't expect God to be gracious to unrepentant people. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense when you say it, because God can only be gracious to an unrepentant people. So you kind of have to think about that for a second. But when we think about revival, when we want revival... It can only come to a people who are seeking it simultaneously with repentance. A church must be turning from their sin individually and corporately if they ever desire for an outpouring of the Spirit of God in a way that they had not seen. Because we cannot continue... Or a church cannot continue, a nation cannot continue down its path of uh, evil and expect um, the, the favor of God. Now, one thing we'll get to and we'll talk about in the, in the future is, is, what, uh, is what I'm kind of hinting on, is that there is this aspect of only God can do it. In his sovereign rule. But men are held responsible. And there's a balance there that we have to hold to and think about. But the point I wanted to make is that if we desire the spirit of God to revive us, to bring revival, to renew us, to awaken us, whatever we want to call it. We must be continually in a, a seeking a spirit of repentance and reformation. I'm going to read a quote from uh, Paul Washer. Uh, some of you might not have ever listened or heard of Paul Washer, but you familiar. We gave, we gave, uh, we donated to his um, ministry a while back, Heart Cry. 
he's the he's the um, director or president of that missionary society. And he says this. He said, and this is how we'll we'll finish here. I want you to know that there is little need for the devil and evil men to oppose a man praying for revival unless that man is also laboring for reformation. So when we say reformation, what do we mean? We mean reforming what's wrong with us. That's a form of repentance, of acknowledging how we are wrong as individuals and as a church. And seeking to reform them, to renew them, to uh, to repent of them, and be biblical. I want you to know that there is little need for the devil and evil men to oppose a man praying for revival, unless that man is also laboring, working for reformation. This is very important. He says, we have been given truth. We cannot simply do what is right in our own eyes and then expect the Holy Spirit to come down and bless our labors. So, from our passage today, um, it says, The Lord will judge His people. Judgment begins in the household of the Lord. If we want... This revival, we must do a hard, deep self-reflection and cry out as 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 David uh, as David did to God: "Search me, O God, know me, try me, show me any any grievous ways in me." That should be our heart. Not, hey, we need revival. Let's do revival. It's let's ask the Lord that we might grow. Right? That that song be our spiritual mindset always. And pray that in that he will show us. He will show us our failures, our our sin, our disobedience. Um and we'll stop there. Uh, four four things to think about. This is just four bullet points of how we can always be seeking repentance and reformation, especially in the light of the age that we live in. How we view Scripture. How we view Scripture. We must repent of our pragmatism, which means if it works, we do it. That's wrong. We only do it if it's biblical, not if it worked once. Number three, we must recover the biblical purpose of church. And number four, devoted to prayer. Individually, and collectively, corporately. I think those are just four things to start us. Four things to just start us. How we view scripture, our repentance of pragmatism, and we'll define that, we'll discuss that more later. Our recovery of the biblical purpose of the church and our devotion to prayer. Okay, I'm done talking. Any questions? Thoughts? Be praying. Be thinking. Meditate on these words, on these thoughts, on these passages that we've read. Uh, and we will we will continue on in this till the Lord tells us to stop. Okay. So um, let's let's end by prayer right now. God and Father, author of all things and the authors of our author of our lives. You've brought each and every one of us here by your providence. 
you found out who we are. You have put us in this place together. And God, you have purpose. And Lord, may you use our ransom lives any way you please. For we are yours. And we've been bought with the blood of your son. So open up our hearts for examination. Each and every one of us. And for those who aren't here tonight. Pull back the veil and show us how we must fall on our faces and repent of the sin that is within us. Give us a desire for you and not for not for a thing. Give us a desire for your son and not for an event. Give us a, a desire uh, to to know and love and understand you more and then therefore and to, to, to love and and be compassionate to the people we live and dwell with and in, are involved with. Lord, and we, we, we acknowledge that if we do anything on our own, that we labor in vain. God, we need you to do it. We need you to work. We need you to be merciful to us. We need you to help us tomorrow as we get up and we go to work. Or we raise our families. Or we deal with difficulties. In the precious name of Jesus, your Son and our Lord, we ask all these things. Amen. 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 Go therefore. <laughs>